is. What's up, Desperation family? This is our yearly uh, get-together. You guys enjoyed yourself so far? Man, what an incredible time. It's good to be back out with you. I'm going to jump straight into the Word. Not a lot of time to uh, talk, but I, I want to just go for it if I can. And uh, anybody from California here? Where are my Californians? Are you serious? You live in California. Where? Where? Napa? That's close to us. Is that it? Just Napa? All right. Praise the Lord. You have one city represented from California. Let's just pray right now for California to come. California needs this. Yeah, it's great to be with you guys, man. I just love coming every year. I did bring somebody with me this time. I'm going to, Brandon, come up here real quick. I want you to say hi. This is Brandon Smith, who uh, recently graduated from the University of California at Berkeley. He is a, uh, a California Golden Bear, and he ran our campus ministry at Cal and then uh, played basketball internationally and uh, is, is still in basketball and ministry and things like that. You want to say hi real quick? Desperation, how are you guys feeling today? That was all right. Uh, we usually get better in California, so I'm going to need to hear that again. <laughs> Desperation, how are you guys doing? That's it right there. How many of you guys are in middle school? Okay, we got a good. Nice. I remember when I was in seventh grade and I gave my life to the Lord. I had grown up in ministry. My dad travels itinerantly and all that. And uh, I remember in middle school, I was just trying to be cool. I was just trying to fit in. And uh, I had an encounter with God and it changed my life. And I remember I was sitting on the left side of a service in third row. And during that time, I was kind of struggling with my choice of friends and, and stuff. And they were getting involved in drugs and selling drugs and stuff like that. And so I remember I'm sitting there as a 12-year-old and I cried out to God. And I said, God, if I can't be as radical as my friends are to their drugs, then I don't want to serve you anymore. And I was serious when I prayed that, and immediately, Holy Spirit came over me, and I felt a fire begin to burn in my heart. And from that point, my life has never been the same. I went on to, we, all, we went on to see revival at our middle school. We were seeing our principal get healed of a broken kneecap and just crazy stuff breaking out. But I want to challenge you, these couple of days, you have an opportunity to press in like you never have before. And who knows what can come out of this encounter with God. For me, it was just an encounter as a seventh grader, and that fire is still burning today. So I want to pray for you real quick, and we're going to hear the word of the Lord. Jesus, we thank you for this moment. Father, I pray right now across this room that you begin to awaken hearts. Father, that you would awaken a hunger, God, within these young people. I pray that you would mark them in such a way, Father, over these, the course of these several days, that their life would never be the same. Father, that you would send them back to their hometowns where they would see awakenings and revivals take place, Father, amongst their families and in their schools. Right now, we say, Holy Spirit, have your way. We welcome your presence, and we welcome you to do anything that you want to do tonight. We love you so much. Everybody said... Hey, listen, I gotta, I'm going to make it. This wasn't really planned. This morning, how many of you enjoyed Lisa Bevere? I, I'm going to tell you right now, I have a new hero in life, and her name's Lisa Bevere. That woman is amazing, and I was so encouraged by her. But she talked a little bit about, you know, uh, you know standing for Christ and the different things and being a virgin and things like that. And uh, sometimes, how, how, how many of you realize that you feel alone 
Many times when you're standing for God or when you're going after the things that God's told you to go after or you're really trying to make a stand and stick with your core values in a culture that's really trying to get you to not stick with your core values, it feels lonely sometimes, doesn't it? Do you agree with me? Yes. Brandon has the best story. Brandon played basketball at UC Berkeley. He was a point guard for UC Berkeley, but played basketball at one of the uh, nation's top high schools, De La Salle in the Bay Area. And uh, he has this best story. We just tell the story only because I like the story. And I want you to know, you are not alone in sticking with the the, the values that you have in following Jesus. You're not alone in that. You know, you're never alone in that thing. So tell the story real quick. All right, so this happened, it started my freshman year of high school. I was the youngest kid to ever make the varsity team in my school. And so one day, after the showers, you know, it was a new, new thing for me, concept of community showers. You know, I'm all embarrassed. I'm that little freshman in the corner, you know, like, hey, don't pass me the soap. I got my own, you know. And um, so I'm sitting there. We come out of the shower. I wrap a towel. I'm all self-conscious. And the, senior, the two senior captains come up to me. And they said, hey, Brandon, are you a virgin? And I paused for a second and like, hey, hey, Max, the other kid who made varsity, they're like, hey, are you a virgin? And, you know, he tried to play it cool. He's like, nah, man, I ain't no virgin. You know me. You know how I get down. They're like, Brandon, what about you? And I knew in that moment that I had to take a stand. And so I said, yes, I'm a virgin. I'm proud of it. And I'm saving myself for marriage. My purity is precious to me. So throughout my high school career, this became the brand that I stood for, right? So my junior year, we're playing against a rival high school. If you can imagine, 1,400 people are in the stands going crazy. People are throwing shoes, batteries. It's crazy, right? I'm at the free throw line. Yeah, this is the Bay Area. For those of you guys who haven't been, that's, it's normal. That's what everyone does. So I'm sitting there at the free throw line. I'm doing my routine. And all of a sudden, I hear the whole crowd start to chant, He's a virgin. He's a virgin. Most people, when I t- <laughs> most people are like, oh, that's me. Yeah. But imagine having 1,400 people tell you you're a virgin in a sarcastic, making fun of you way, right? And in that moment, I was so proud. I couldn't tell you. There wasn't one ounce of embarrassment like, oh, I'm a virgin. It was, yes, I'm a virgin. I'm taking a stand for something that matters, right? And so inside... Inside, I I was chanting, I'm proud of it. I'm proud of it. But who knew that just taking a stand as a freshman for purity, that it would spread to other high schools in the region, that that would be the thing that they would make fun of me for, not realizing that he actually really respect that. They want to see somebody. They want to see young people make a stand for something. So just to let you know, you guys are not alone. Keep taking a stand. Come on, Brandon. Listen, you may, you may be a virgin right now. You may have lost your virginity. That's not the point for me. What I'm telling you is this, is that from this day on, man, make a stand for what the Lord's asked you to do. Don't be ashamed of it. And there's going to be times when culture's coming at you hard, and you just got to be standing. You're not alone. You are not alone. The enemy wants to make you feel like you're alone, but you're not. You got your Bibles? Bibles, Bible apps, whatever you're reading the Word of God on, I am good with. I'm going to read you a passage of Scripture that I am going to then leave and reference, but I want to read it first. Uh, the Israelites were complaining and uh, complaining against God, so God sends a plague, 
And the response to the plague, this is what Moses tells Aaron in Numbers chapter 16, verse 46. Numbers 16, verse 46. So Moses said to Aaron, take a censer and put fire in it from the altar. Put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly. And already the plague had begun among the people. So he put in the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living. So the plague was stopped. I'm going to read it again. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly. And already the plague had begun among the people. So he put in the incense and made atonement for the people, and he stood between the dead and the living, so the plague was stopped. I cannot tell you how encouraged I am every time I come to desperation. When I get in a room of young people that are passionately pursuing God, it puts hope and courage inside of me. I am convinced that the greatest revival, the greatest harvest the world has ever seen will happen in your generation. You have to know this with all of your heart. The greatest harvest that has ever come into the church will come in your generation. And right now... I know that the enemy, that the devil is trying to taunt you. I know that the media is trying to somehow convince us that this generation doesn't care about God, that this generation doesn't care about Jesus. They don't care about church and they want to throw statistics at us and all this stuff. But I am telling you, it is not true. This generation is going to see the greatest harvest the world has ever seen. It's going to happen. You're a part of it. Sometimes I think when you hear the enemy taunting you, you need to do what we describe, remind him of the scoreboard. This is when I, a few years ago, about seven years ago, I was playing city league basketball. And I play city league and, and it's old man ball and, and I love every minute of it. And, and every time I step on the court... I'm, I might as well be playing D1 ball. It's just how, it's how we roll. So I'm out there with these guys, and, 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 I, and I drive to the middle, and I kind of put this little floater up like this. And there's this, and we're, we're, we're winning by 20. We're beating this team by 20. And I go to the middle, I float a little ball up. And this guy, he was kind of like short, wide, not athletic. And, and he comes up and swats the ball like hard. He goes up, he goes, he goes, Boom! He hits it. He hits it so hard, it hit the wall. Like, 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 I'm like, boom! He hits it. Bam! And it hits the wall. And as he does it, he goes, get that out of here! In my 20s, I talked a lot on the basketball court. Like, it was just nonstop. I would just be in your ear the whole time. But when I got to my 30s, I kind of stopped that. But he throws it up. He goes, boom! He goes, get that out of here! And I went back to my 20s immediately, and I'm like, hey, bro, listen, man, you can't be doing that stuff when you're losing by 20. Like, you just, come on now. Come on, it's still our ball. You can't, you can't yell that right now. Look at the scoreboard. That's what I tell him. I'm like, look at the scoreboard. So we get the ball. He's coming down. He's still talking. I'm like, bro, look at the scoreboard. My only response was like, scoreboard. Hey, scoreboard, scoreboard. You can't yell, get that out of here when it's still our ball. And the score is that. 
This is what I think. I think that right now in America, the enemy is taunting. But he doesn't realize, he doesn't have the ball. We have the ball. Do you want to know that when the Supreme Court made the decision a few weeks ago, do you know, I love what Lisa said, do you know who didn't get off the throne? Jesus. Do you know who still has the ball? We do. This is important to understand because I don't want you to go back to your school this year thinking you're on the defense because you're not on the defense. You're not on the defense. You have the ball. And he can, he can taunt all he wants. He can get your face all he wants. And what you have to do is go, scoreboard. Hey, just say scoreboard. You're not winning. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't care what they say in the media. This generation is the hungriest generation I've ever encountered in my life. This generation wants to give themselves to prayer, to the word, to giving themselves fully for the cause of Christ. Your generation. In this room right now, you are here because you're hungry to see God lifted up in a nation. And listen, he can come and taunt all he wants. I know who has the ball and I know who's winning. And I know that your generation is going to see the greatest revival in the history of the world is going to happen in your day. But here's what I believe God's requiring. I believe that your life is a seed and it is critical how you plant it right now. You have to be very aware in your life right now of the decisions you're making and how you're choosing to plant your life. If you're going to be used by God to see the greatest harvest ever, what you do right now matters greatly. The seeds that you sow right now in your life will be the fruit that you eat later. And so, as a young person, you have to be, be very aware of what, where am I sowing my life? Where am I planting the seeds in my life? You know this verse, but in Galatians it says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Part of my concern about the message you get in culture is that if you really read the Bible, the Bible encourages you to think long term. Longevity matters to the Lord, and he wants you to set your life up where you think long-term. The issue is, is that everything in society is trying to get you to think short-term. The message you get is all that matters is right now. Nothing else matters but this moment. There is no long-term, there only is short-term, all that matters is now. The problem with that is, is if you really believe that all that matters is right now, is you won't sow the seeds necessary to reap the harvest in your life that God wants you to reap. If you think that all that matters is right now, listen, this is in culture. It's in your music that you listen to. I heard a song the other day. I tried to find it. I couldn't. I didn't know. Uh, It's just this concept of tonight's all we have, and so let's go pursue all the play. It's just this constant thing where all that matters is right now. All you need to do is think about right now. Pepsi has an ad campaign. Live for now. And I want to tell you, don't live for now. Live for long term. Don't just worry about right now because right now is not all that matters. 
Do you want to hear some music lyrics? They're, they're a couple years old, which in my 16-year-old daughter's mind is like ancient. They're like, we don't even listen to that anymore, Dad. Jay-Z, forever young, without a wrinkle in today, because there is no tomorrow. Just some picture-perfect day to last a whole lifetime. It never ends, because all we have to do is hit rewind. So let's just stay in the moment, smoke some weed, drink some wine, reminisce, talk some not good words. Forever young is in your mind. Kesha, die young, looking for some trouble tonight. Take my hand, I'll show you the wild side. Like it's the last night of our lives. We'll keep dancing till we die. I hear your heartbeat to the beat of the drums. Oh, what a shame that you came here with someone. So while you're here in my arms, let's make the most till the night like we're going to die young. Usher and Pitbull. This is baby tonight, the DJ got us falling in love again. Yeah, baby, tonight. The DJ got us falling in love again. So dance, dance, like it's the last, last night of your life, life. Going to get you right, because baby, tonight, the DJ got us falling in love again. Keep down in drinks like there's no tomorrow. There's just right, listen to this, there's just right now, 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 now. Going to set the roof on fire. Let me just say something real quick. If you only have one night left on the earth, please don't spend it in a club. This stuff just cracks me up. Hey, baby, I got one, one night left. Let's go shake some booty. Hey, what are you going to do if you only got one night? I'm going to go to the club. If it's your last night in life, you go home right now and you hug your mom and dad and let them know you love them, all right? Don't be at, don't be at some club. I can't think of an absolute worst place to be if it was my last night on earth. But listen, this is what's trying to come across to you. You know what matters? Now, 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 now. You don't know if you're going to live tomorrow. All that matters is tonight. I'm going to tell you this is one of the biggest lies that your generation has bought into. You don't live for now. You've got to plant seeds understanding there is a tomorrow. And the seeds I plant today become the fruit I eat from tomorrow. I'm calling you to give yourself to revival, to understand that my life is a seed and where I plant it matters. I have to look beyond today. I have to look beyond just this moment. I can't look just beyond. I've got to look beyond this. You know what I say? This, this is my phrase. You have to look past the urinals of life. I'll tell you why I say that. My daughter, who's 16, she'll be a junior. We started coaching her when she was young in third grade playing basketball. We're a big basketball family. But in fifth grade, we coached her, her school team. There were seven girls, fifth graders, on this team. Five of them have never even touched a basketball. Two of them have played a little bit. We practiced for two weeks. And I'm into basketball, and I'm serious, and this is happening. And so my wife and I coached these girls. for two, You know, we got them ready for two weeks. First first game we have. It's an away game. 
So we go to this away game, and they put us in the boys' locker room because we're the visiting team. And I'm ready for this moment. Like, I'm coach. I, I'm like, I'm excited. I've got a whole speech planned out for these fifth graders. And, and it's going to be inspirational. It's going to be motivational. It's gonna, this is it. And I plan out a whole speech in my head. And, and I, because in my mind, my speech was based around girls. Today starts a journey that will end at Stanford. Today, girls start to journey where the University of Connecticut is going to call you and give you a full-ride scholarship. Today starts that journey. You've worked hard for two weeks, and today, Stanford is on the line. So I get into these girls. They all kind of come in and sit, all seven of them. And I start my speech. Girls, today's an important day. You've been working hard for two weeks. This is what it's all come down to. Stanford is on the line for some of you. And as I get into my speech, one of the girls looks over and sees a urinal. Fifth grade girls. And she starts giggling. She's never seen a urinal before. And she looks over, she sees a urinal, she starts giggling. And then she, you know, hits her frantic, she's like... And they look over and they're, oh my gosh, they're like giggling at the urinal too. And they're all just, and, and, and all of a sudden the whole group of girls starts giggling in the middle of my speech that I had worked on and, and they were giggling at these urinals and, 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 and I lost them. And so I'm like, okay, girls, there's urinals. Yes, boys stand up and pee over there. It happens. Okay, come on. All right. All right everybody back in today, girls. The University of California, Berkeley is in your, you know, sights. Today is what you put all your hard work of two weeks into. I, I, they start giggling again. They giggled for 10 minutes. Till finally I just turned to my wife. I said, I, I don't know what to do. I can't do this. I don't know what to do. I, I, I can't do it. I have to go right now. And I just walked out. I just left them in there. In my head, I'm thinking, girls, your future is on the line right now. And all you can see is urinals. This is what I want to tell a generation. Look past the urinals in your life. Don't tweet that. I, I get with young people. And I, they're like, all they can see is this. There's nothing else going on but this. Nothing else exists right now. And listen, Usher, Pitbull, Kesha, they all told me that this is all that matters. So I just can only see this far. I cannot see any further. I'm, I, listen, I'm telling you, you have, to, you have to get up and say, no, there's a future in my life. There's a future that God's called me to. And what I do right now matters. What I do with my life right now matters. What I invest my time into right now matters. Where I plant seeds right now matters. This is where I feel God is hot. Listen, and, and I just want to talk to you tonight really as just a dad because there's two areas that I feel the Lord very, very strongly calling a generation to. And that you need to plant yourself in these two areas. I believe this story in Numbers where a plague had begun and Moses sends Aaron. And he goes into the midst of the plague and he stands between the dead and the living. With fire and with incense, he stands between the dead and the living and the plague stops. I do believe that there's a plague in your generation, but I believe 
that God is raising up a generation that will go right in the middle of that plague, that will stand between the dead and the living and see this thing end. But if you are going to, but listen to me, God is going to send you into the heart of the plague. He's going to send you into the heart of your generation to see an awakening happen. But there are two things you need going in. It is fire and it is incense. Listen to me. And this is what I feel the Lord telling me pretty strongly about this issue. God wants to reveal himself to you and light a fire inside of you. But the issue of scripture is huge. I feel prophetically from the Lord that I'm to tell you this. God wants to light a fire in your life, but it is going to come from putting roots down in Scripture. There's a, there's a story, I don't want to get into the whole thing, but, but Jesus dies. He, he, he comes back, he, he's, he, he's risen from the dead. His disciples are walking along a road and they're discouraged because they just are confused on, they, they weren't expecting Jesus to die. Jesus shows up and walks with them, and they don't recognize him. And Jesus is like, why are you sad? And they're like, what are you, where have you been, under a rock? Like, do you not know what's happened? And then, and then listen to this phrase in, in Luke chapter 24. He said, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Listen to verse 30. Now it came to pass, they, they, he was going to go on, they said, he said, Who, whoever you are, they didn't recognize it was Jesus. They said, come, come and sit with us at dinner. And it said, now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed and broken, and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew it and he vanished from their sight. Listen to this verse in, in verse 32. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road? Listen to this. And while he opened scriptures to us. I believe that God wants to light a fire in this generation that is birthed from a revelation of Jesus from scripture. Listen, when I say that you have to think long term, when I say, listen, do not just worry. It is not just about now. It is about I have a seed and I'm going to plant that seed. I'm going to take my life and I'm going to allow roots to go down in my life. The first area I'm letting roots go down is the word of God, is the Bible, is scripture. I believe that God wants to, re Jesus wants to reveal himself to you and burn something inside of you through scripture. These disciples didn't even recognize him. And all of a sudden, their eyes are open and they say, they say, did our heart not burn within us when he was opening scripture to us? Listen, you have to put your roots in scripture. You have to get a love and a passion for the word of God. And you have to be committed in my life right now. I'm going to commit myself to putting roots down in scripture. I'm going to put roots down. I don't know what it was, but I was 17 years old. Had an encounter with the Lord, was saved at four and baptized at five. But at 17, I, I responded to an altar call and just the Lord just lit me on fire. But, but when he did that, something happened in me where I got this, I got this desire to read the Bible. And I remember as a senior in high school, 
I got on my own, and I said, I'm gonna, I want to read the whole Bible through in a year. So I didn't have any Bible apps or any Bible. I didn't know Bible programs or anything. So I just said, I, I, I counted every chapter in the Bible. And then I said, all right, if I'm going to do that, I'm going to have to read three Old Testament every day and one New Testament every day, one chapter. And I got in the Word, and I began to read. And I, I got... I, in fact, I wouldn't even stick with my plan. I was, I was so hungry, I would just read. I wouldn't read three chapters, I'd read five chapters. I'd read one, I'd read three. And I, I read the Bible through in 10 months as a senior. And not only that, I wanted to find out what I believed. Because I grew up in a very conservative uh, Christian you know, environment where, you know, if you, speaking of the you know, speaking in tongues was of the devil. Any gifts of the spirit was demonic and, and women never preached. It was this kind of environment. So I remember, guys, I had no training. I had a Ryrie study Bible. And I opened it up. I said, I'm going to go find out what I think about the gifts of the spirit. And I just went and started reading. And then I would find it had all these cross-references and I'd go read every verse that was cross-referenced. And then I'd read all the cross-references on those verses until I finally figured out, what do I believe about women preaching? What do I believe about the gifts of the Spirit? And I took a year as a senior, and I put my roots down in Scripture. Guys, I'm 39 years old right now. This is 22 years later that my life right now is the result of a choice I made as a 17-year-old to plant my life in Scripture. To plant my life in Scripture. Do you know that one of my big concerns about millennials and the younger generation right now is this, is that, is that our roots are not in Scripture. We are being, you are called to lead a nation. Do you understand that? Jesus is pointing at you and saying, hey, you're called to disciple nations. You're called to disciple nations. That is, that is it. Like he didn't point at just the preachers and say that. He pointed at you. The issue is if you're called to lead your generation, if you're called to lead nations, how do you know where you're going if you don't actually have roots in Scripture? And you know, how, you know, what, you know what most people are being led by right now? Feelings. Feelings and popular opinion. This is what happens. And do you know what God's not sending you into the plague with? Feelings and popular opinion. He's sending you into the midst of the plague with a revelation of Jesus rooted firmly in Scripture. This is one of those things where, you know, I have a value for feelings, but, but, but a truth, this, you've got to get this down. Truth it's not rooted in your feelings. Truth is rooted in Scripture. Truth is not rooted in popular opinion. Truth is rooted in Scripture. And we have a generation that's like, I don't know, it just doesn't feel like God would do that. And I'm like, I don't care what you feel like. What does the Bible say about this? And listen, you are not too young to go find out what the Bible says. This book was written for you. Go get in it. This thing right now, I remember I, I, there was a controversial book that came out, and it, it was in, and, and I don't want to talk about, you know, the theology of it, but there was a book that came out that was pretty controversial theology, and so I was kind of following it loosely, and, and I found a video blog online, 
And this guy online, this video blogger, gets up. It was a pretty well done video. And he gets up and he starts defending the theology of the book. And the way he defends the theology of the book is he begins to describe a story about a man who had a puppy. And this man took the puppy and he hung him upside down. And then he poked his eyes out. And then the guy said, and I just can't imagine that God would do that. And then that was the end of it. And I just sat there and thought, what? What does this, like, what does you, what you imagine God can and cannot do? What does that have to do with anything? Tell me what scripture says. I don't want to know. Well, I just don't feel like God would do that. I, that's fine. I, that's, it's, it's not part of our conversation. Listen, guys, you are not led by your feelings. You are led by scripture. I, I don't, listen, you may say, I don't feel, you know, I don't feel valuable. I, I'm fine. You don't feel like it. What's the Bible say? Because the Bible says you're pretty valuable. The Bible says that Jesus paid a very large price for you. Do you know how you determine the value of something? If I, my wedding ring right here, if I wanted to find out how much this wedding ring is worth, do you know what I do? I go around. If this represented the world, I would say, you know, how much would you give me for it? So it's like $50, $300, $600, $20. How much is it worth? $600. Because somebody's, somebody is willing to pay $600 for it. So it's worth $600 because that's what somebody's willing to pay. The, the Bible tells me that you are so valuable, that God thinks you're so valuable, that your value is based on what somebody is willing to pay for you. And you know what that is? God, you know, the Father was up in heaven and he's not like, hey, I really want a relationship with them. They're super valuable to me. So what's something that won't cost me much? Jesus. No, he, he went and got the absolute most valuable thing he could sacrifice for you. And he hung on a cross. That, that's why for me, listen, I don't feel valuable. That's irrelevant. You know what scripture says? You were paid, a great price was paid. That's where your value comes from. And not just individually, but guys, we can't lead a nation. You cannot lead a generation based on your feelings. The thought that God wouldn't make us uncomfortable. Well, if that was God, I just can't imagine he'd make me uncomfortable. Tell that to the disciples who are in a boat and Jesus is walking on water and they're freaking out because they think it's a ghost. The disciples' comfort level did not determine whether that was Jesus or not. Listen, guys. And then this popular opinion thing, this thing of like, well, you know, I've done a bunch of research and I've done this. And I mean, there's a lot of polls taken, all irrelevant. Guys, <laughs> I, 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 I know that it's quiet right now, but listen to me. You have to put your roots down in scripture. Your default mode the rest of your life has to be, what does the Bible say about this? I, I don't feel that. I, I'm going to go look and see what the Bible says about my life. I don't feel like I have a future. Well, what's the Bible say about that? <laughs> This is what everybody in my nation is saying that truth is. What's the Bible say about that? It has to be your default mode. 
the seed that I want you to plant right now, the roots that need to go down in your life, first and foremost is go get in Scripture. Go get in the Bible. Get in the Bible. It's not your pastor's responsibility to get in the Bible for you. It's your responsibility to get in the Bible. And listen, if you don't, I'm telling you, you will not have the foundation necessary to lead. Listen to me. If you do not have a revelation of Jesus through roots in Scripture, you will not understand what truth is and you will not have a foundation to lead. Guys, you live in a, you live in a moment of peer pressure that is unbelievable. Social media and everything else has increased peer pressure that's trying to move you. I, have you ever been in a really intense peer pressure situation? Probably the most intense peer pressure situation I've ever been in. I was in Chicago. And I was in Chicago. I've always wanted to go to Wrigley Field. And so, you know, we love going to baseball games. Saturday, we're going to go to the Rockies game, you know. And so I, I'm, I, so I, I go to Wrigley Field. It's this incredible experience. I'm sitting up in, the, you know, the, the balcony or whatever. And at Wrigley Field, I, they were playing the Pirates or the Reds or somebody. And the opposing team hits a home run. It goes out in the left field stands. And when it goes out there, uh, you know, the tradition at Wrigley Field is if it's the opposing team's home run, you throw it back. It's like the ultimate sign of disgust. It's just like, you know, the ultimate slap in the face. I don't want your home run ball. You throw it back. Well, the ball goes into the stands. 40,000 people there. Ball goes into the stands. Home run. All of a sudden, the whole crowd. Throw it back. Throw it back. Throw it back. But the ball's not coming out of the crowd. You know, it's probably some kid, you know, it's like, I got a ball. And they're like, throw it back. The whole entire stadium was looking at this one place. Throw it back. Throw it back. Well, the, the guy doesn't. And all of a sudden, 40,000, well, 39,000, you know, 999, because I did not do this. 40,000 people start raining booze down on this guy. It was the most crazy thing. They were just yelling, but I, it lasted for, it felt like 10 minutes. It was probably 30 seconds. They start raining booze down on this guy. And all of a sudden, you just couldn't handle it. Boo! You ever had 40,000 people looking at you, booing you? All of a sudden, you couldn't handle any more. And out of the crowd, the ball goes, boop! It comes out onto the, sta- out, out onto the uh, field. The place goes ballistic. I mean, they're just like, they were just cheering like crazy that they had caused this kid to throw a ball back. This is the world you live in right now. I'm telling you, I think this is truth. 40,000 people start raining booze down on you. But listen, 40,000 people do not determine what truth is. 40,000 people do not determine what I'm going to do with my life. Listen, unless you get a value for Scripture, unless you get a value, a love for the Word of God, unless you decide right now, I'm going to put roots down in Scripture. I'm going to go find out what I believe about this. I'm not going to, listen, and I give you all permission to not believe a word I'm saying. I'm serious. Every single preacher that gets up here, you have permission to not believe anything they're saying, but you got to go find it in Scripture. Go find it in Scripture. 
If you disagree, I'm fine with that. But you got to go back this thing up with Scripture. Put your roots down. I was 17. The best decision I made. And I didn't even know at the time that I had a seed that I was planting that 22 years later would be bearing fruit in my life. But the decision was this. I'm going to get into the Word of God. I'm going to get into Scripture. My default mode is going to be, what does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about this? I don't want to know what popular opinion says about it. I don't, know, I don't want to know what my feelings says about it. I want to know what Scripture says about it. Listen, you, you, this thing right here, God's going to send you into the plague. He really is. You have to come with a burning passion birthed from roots in Scripture. Here's the second thing, though. The Bible says that, that Aaron goes in with a censer. He's got fire in it. But the second thing he has is incense. When he went and stood between the dead and the living, he came with incense. This is the, the Bible in a couple places. In Revelations, it says that, in, that the incense was the prayers of the saints. David prays, may my prayers be incense before you. God is not only calling you to put your roots in Scripture, God is calling you to live a life of prayer. What I so love about this conference and what David has planted here is, is that it is calling a generation to pray. You have to have roots in Scripture and roots in prayer because God is calling you to be intercessors for your generation. In Scripture, there's many different types of prayer, and, and, and I'm only going to talk about one of them. You know, there's the prayer... There, there's praise and adoration, the prayer of forgiveness, prayer of supplication, which is asking and requesting, prayer of thanksgiving, prayer of faith, prayer of agreement, prayer of, prayer of consecration. But there's a prayer of intercession that I believe God is calling this generation to embrace. Intercession, the definition of intercession is, is intervening on behalf of someone. It's that I intervene on behalf of someone or something. Or there's a picture of... That intercession is, a, I, I set a meeting up between two people. It's, uh, it's almost like I'm a secretary. It's like, a, you want to meet with him? Okay, let's find a time. I'll pencil it in. God, God is asking you, I'm telling you prophetically, I feel this so strongly right now for your generation. Your roots have to get in scripture and you have to give yourself to a life of prayer, in particular intercession. If you're going to be somebody who looks beyond right now, who, who decides, I'm going to plant now so I can reap later. The word and prayer, it's simple, but you have to get in this thing. Intercession is that any time, it's important that you pray because any, if you read Jesus, and Paul references this too, when Jesus is talking about prayer, he consistently is tying it back to God's a father. So you have to relate to God like a father. You have to understand the nature of a father if you're really going to understand prayer. So Jesus consistently was using the example of the father when he was trying to teach us how to pray. And Paul would, would, would echo this as well. And it's important to understand because the heart of a father and the strategy of a father are important in your prayer life. What I believe is this is that God is going to send you with incense into the heart of your generation. And the strategy behind it is that God understands he is moved by your prayers as his children. And so because of that, he takes your life, 
plants you right in the heart of the plague, right in the heart of your generation, stirs your heart to pray. And then you begin to lift up your voice in prayer to him, and then he responds because he's moved by your prayers. I'm telling you, as a father, our children move us. It's a weird thing. I remember when we had... When we had our first, before, right before we had our first kid, I remember people saying, oh, you're going to learn so much about the father heart of God when you have a kid. And I was always like, yeah, okay, I don't even know what you're talking about, but okay, whatever. And then, you know, they all told you that. And it always, it always sounded sappy and a little corny and cheesy. I'm like, all right, father heart of God stuff. Okay, all right, thanks. And then, and then you have your first child. And it's the craziest experience you've ever had. I'm like, oh my gosh, what's happening inside of there? I didn't even know that existed. What is that feeling? Like, I, I've never experienced this before. This is, what? There's just this weird, like, you didn't even know it existed feeling. And so, you know, my daughter was just about 12 months. And we had her sleeping through the night. But we started traveling a little bit. And so she started waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning. And, and it was just easier for us to go get her and put her in our bed. So, so you know, I'd go get her. We got a king, California king, so I'd go get her. We'd put her in bed. And it worked for a while, but pretty soon she started doing that thing where she'd start going sideways. And as, like, you know, a 12-month-old, she'd start laying out like this, and she'd put a foot in my back. And I'm the type of guy, I need my space when I sleep. I need you to be over there. I'll be over here. I'm all fine. Like, I, nothing's bothering me. And the minute a foot's in my back, I just can't sleep. So I tell my wife, I'm like, CJ, we got to get Ellie to sleep for the night. Like, this is out. I just can't do this anymore. And she's like, all right, well, um, you know, well, how do we do that? And I'm like, I don't know how we get her to sleep for the night. She's like, I don't either. So I said, I'll ask some parents. So I go around to parents. We're total rookies. I go to parents. I'm like, hey, guys, uh, my daughter, she's not sleeping for the night. I just, how do we get her to sleep for the night? And this is the response. They said, you got to break her. like what they're like you got to break her i'm like she's not a horse she's a baby they're like i know i know you got to break her and i'm like well how do you break her and they're like you got to let her cry it out and that might take three or four hours could take three or four nights she'll figure it out really yeah she'll be fine it'll sound like she's dying but she'll be fine like, all right. So I go home. I'm like, hey, CJ, uh, they said we have to break her, which I guess is you let her cry all night or something, and it's going to take three or four nights. And she's like, really? I'm like, yeah, I guess. I don't know. And so we're like, all right, let's do it. So we got our calendar out, and we're like, all right, let's do these uh, three nights. We'll set them aside. And so the first night comes around. Ellie wakes up, 2 in the morning. She's standing on her bed screaming. And I come in. She's this, she's this like, fat, round thing. She was this little, fat, round, cute thing. She's sitting there in her crib, crying. I walk in. I'm like, Ellie, you're a big girl now. Big girls sleep in their own beds. You can't sleep with mommy and daddy anymore. You have to stay in your crib, okay? And I lay her down. She jumps up, screaming. I walk out the door. I shut it. Go in our room, turn her light on, sit up on our bed, turn on some infomercials. We're doing this. Three or four hours, three or four nights, it's on. And I turn to my wife, who is the weaker vessel, and I said, and I said, CJ, I know right now that you really, really want to go in and help her, but be strong. Don't give in. She'll be fine. No matter what happens, don't go in there, okay? We can't do that. My wife's like, okay. 
And then about 10 minutes into her crying, she did something she's never done before. In the middle of her crying, she starts going, And I am in my room melting. I, I, I'm, I'm literally like, oh my gosh. My daughter needs me. And, and I get up and I, I turn to my wife. I'm like, you are so mean that you would make her stay in there crying. My daughter needs me. And I ran into the room and I said, Ellie, you could sleep with us forever. And I picked her up. And I put her in bed. She slept in our bed for a year. Listen, there's just something. I, I don't know. I'm just telling you, it's really important when Jesus comes and says, hey, God's a father. When you pray to him, understand he's a father. Because the heart and strategy of a father is this. He's like, I'm going to get all these kids that are gathering at desperation. I'm just going to get them just in love with me. I'm going to stir up their hearts. And then I'm going to send them back onto their campus. I'm going to send them back into their generation. And I'm going to put them right in the heart of the plague. And then I'm just going to stir their hearts up just to start praying. And we come before and we say, God, would you come? Would you come as the intercessors? We come to intervene on behalf of somebody and say, God, would you come? And would you, would you come and visit my generation? And God's heart, he stirred. Moved. We pray to a God who is eager to answer. You cannot read scripture and walk away with any other conclusion, but God loves answering prayers. Jesus is like, hey guys, here's a little clue. You need to ask. You need to seek. You need to knock. Why? Well, everyone who asks receives. Everyone who knocks the doors open. Everyone who seeks finds. Isaiah puts it this way. Isaiah says, there's never been a God. Nobody's ever even heard of a God, seen a God who acts for those who wait for him. He said, nobody's even heard of a God who's moved to action by those who wait for him, who seek him. This is why you're in your generation to lift up your voice. You're an intercessor. You come and you stand between the dead and the living. And in prayer, you say, plague, you cannot go any further. You do not get my generation. You do not get to steal my friends. You do not get to come with violence and sexual perversion and racism. You don't get to come here. And then God responds. And we come before him, we're secretaries. We come and we, we introduce him to people. In prayer. Listen, God's that guy, this may be simple, but God's that guy at the party that you're friends with. And he doesn't know, you know, there's some girl. You ever been with these guys? You know some girl and they want to meet them? So the whole party's like, hey, introduce me. Hey, introduce me to your friend. Hey, do you know that girl? Come on, introduce me. Introduce me. Come on, introduce me. Fine. You know, hey, Judy, meet her. You know, it's that thing. This is God. God's up in heaven going, 
Hey, who's your friend right there? Hey, introduce me. Hey, come on, buddy. Introduce me. Is that your friend down there? I want to meet him. Come on, introduce me. Introduce me. You're like, okay, fine. God, you know, meet Billy. Billy, meet God. And, and you guys should meet. This is prayer for us. God's up there. He does it with impossible situations too. God comes to us and goes, hey, is that an impossible situation in your life? Come on, introduce me. I really want to meet that. Come on, introduce me. Come on, I want to meet that impossible situation. Introduce me. Come on. Come on, I really want to meet him. Fine. You know, God, meet cancer. Cancer, meet God. You know, you guys should meet. That's what we do. We hear about Charleston. We get in prayer. We say, God, we build a wall. Racism, you do not get a hold of my generation. You do not get to come and steal from my generation. We build a wall. We stand in the gap right in the middle of the play. And then the other part is we just start introducing people to God. Understanding he is so eager to respond. He loves to respond. He wants to come. I remember a guy came up to me one time friend of mine, he was a prophetic guy. He says, Benny, was right after worship. He said, Benny, this is the craziest thing. He said, but I just had a vision of God on the price is right. And he says it was right before the announcer called the next contestant. He said, that's what it was. And what's funny is, is when he told to me, I knew exactly what it meant because the summer before my sophomore year, I watched Price is right every day. And I may have also watched General Hospital and all my children. But that's a different issue. <laughs> Every day I watch these shows before I went and hung out with my friends. And I've watched, I've watched hundreds and hundreds of times The Price is Right. And it's the same thing every time. That when I watched it, it was Bob Barker and the, the announcer was Rod Roddy. Every time Rod Roddy would get on before it was Drew Carey and all that. And, and he would just about to announce the next contestant. And the whole audience, the whole audience is just on the edge of their seat. And they're just jacked. They're like, today's the day. This happened. And I know what's going down. I'm getting picked. My entire life has come down to this moment. All that I've been going for is here. I'm going to be on the prices right. I can feel it. I know it. There's just all this stuff going on. Everybody's got their, like, I love Bob Barker shirts on. And, like, they're all wearing them. And then all of a sudden, Rod Roddy says, you know, Susan Johnson, come on down. You're the next contestant on the prices right. Well, well, the camera doesn't know where Susan is, so they just start looking, but they find her very quickly because she is the one screaming at the top of her lungs, standing with her arms flailing, high-fiving everybody on the way to the aisle. And I have seen this show many, many times. I have never once seen somebody walk casually down the aisle. It's always a full sprint. It is, a, it is, it is screaming, high-fiving, full sprint. He comes to me and he says, man, I had this vision. It was weird, but it was, God was on the prices right, right before the announcer does it. And I knew I right away. I said, God's trying to speak to us. This is what scripture reveals to us. He's near to all who call upon him. Did you, this, this is the amazing thing. You get on your campus, you're with a couple of friends. You have no idea how to pray at all. You heard some guy talk about prayer. You're like, I don't even know how to pray. You're like, I don't know. He just told us to come and introduce our campus to him and, and to stand and make a wall. And so, so it's like you and two other guys, and, and you're kind of over there, and, and you kind of get your little prayer meeting together, and you're like, you know, Lord, God, I just pray. And, and up in heaven, God's on the edge of his seat. 
He's like, today's the day. I know it is. I can feel it. They're going to call me today. I know they're going to call on me. I know it's happening. I, it's just, this is, today's the day. It's happening. He's got his I Love Colorado Springs shirt on. And he's like, this is going down. Today's the day. I know it. And then we get our little prayer meeting together. It feels anemic, but we're doing it anyways. And we're like, you know, Lord, I, I just really want to introduce you to my friends. And, and God, I just want to build the wall. And God, would you just show up on my campus? And God's up in heaven. He's like, ah! He's high-fiving people and sprinting. This is, listen, God is eager to respond. You know why you give yourself to scripture? You know why you give yourself to intercession? Because God answers prayer. The Bible again and again and again says he is somebody, he is a God who answers prayer. And I come and say, God, I'd like to introduce you to my friend. And God's like, yes, yes, I've been waiting for this. I've really wanted to meet them. I just needed an introduction in prayer. Guys, this, this, this is the mandate that is on your life. The mandate on your life right now is I believe you have to live for the long term. You cannot think that what you're doing right now is just about right now. Plant seeds in the word of God and in prayer. You don't have to know what you're doing. I didn't know what I was doing. I read the Bible. Nobody taught me how to read the Bible. I just started reading it. Nobody taught me how to pray. I just kind of started praying. Got my Bible. I went in, got some worship music. They, you know, my cassette tape with my headphones, vineyard, more love, more power. And then I just read my Bible. Right? That was it. But you know what has to hit? And the, the, the worship team can come back up. You know what has to hit you? This generation needs a sense of responsibility to hit them. We live in a generation right now that thinks it's everybody else's issue. It's everybody else's problem. It's not my problem. It's somebody else's issue. And if you're really going to invest in the areas that you need to invest in right now, there has to be a sense of responsibility that hits you. I remember when I was coming back from college, I, I, I went to school in Southern California, but lived 10 hours north in Northern California. Remember I was coming home from college one day, I was 18 years old, me and two friends, we got in my friend's truck and we made the drive up Interstate 5. We were about an hour and a half away from this, my city, my hometown, Reading, and we pulled over to get gas to finish the journey. And we pulled over, pulled up to the gas pump. My friend Pete, who was driving, I was in the middle, Steve the, you know, on the visitor's, in the visitor's seat, in the passenger seat, the visitor. He was a visitor. Any first-time visitors? And they, uh, and we, we pull up to the gas pump, and we get out, and, you know, I, I go in, and, and I go use the restroom. Steve gets some snacks. Pete, he, uh, he goes and pays for the gas. We finish up there, get all our stuff done, and take off. About 20 minutes down the road, the car breaks down. We coast over to the side of the freeway. We're looking at each other going, what's going on? And Pete says, I don't know. My truck's never done this before. And, and I look over and the gas gauge is empty. And I said, hey, Pete, did you put gas in the truck? He said, no, I went and paid for it. I thought Steve was putting gas in. We both look at Steve. Steve's like, don't look at me, guys. I was in getting snacks. I thought Banning was putting gas in. They both look at me. I said, don't look at me, guys. I, I was in using the restroom. I thought Pete was putting gas in. We'd literally driven up to the gas pump paid for gas, snacks, restroom, got back in, drove off. <laughs> Never getting gas. 
Guys, this is the thing. Your generation, it's got to be your responsibility. What's happening in this nation right now, it has to be. We cannot have a, gener- we cannot have a generation in the church that goes, uh, who's praying for our generation? I don't know, somebody is, I'm sure, right? Aren't you praying? I'm not praying. I thought you were praying. I thought the kid with the Christian t-shirt was praying. I'm not praying. I just wear DC talk. I don't know. You know, like, well, I'm not praying. I thought he was praying. No, this is our responsibility. It's my responsibility to get in the word of God and find out what truth is. It's my responsibility to plant seeds right now. It's my responsibility to build a wall of intercession and introduce people to God in prayer. That's my response. It's not somebody else's responsibility. It's why we can't, you can't live up in Colorado Springs and when Charleston happens in your generation, go, I don't know, it's not my responsibility, it's Charleston. You know, I'm not African-American, I don't know, you know, like, listen, no, no, that's our problem. That's my responsibility. That's not only happening in my, that's only happening in my nation, that's happening in my generation. That's happening in my generation. There has to be something that gets inside of me that says, no, I'm going to prayer. And I'm going to stand in the gap in the middle of this plague. And I'm going to say, no, 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 you don't get my generation. No, no, I built a wall. And I don't even know what I'm doing, but I know this. God said, if I'll pray, he'll answer. And God, I'm praying you'd awaken an entire generation. God, I'm praying that racism would find no place. This is my responsibility. I'm not, uh, I'm not just passively watching a Supreme Court decision and going, I don't know, it's somebody's responsibility, right? I don't know, is it yours? Is it mine? I don't know whose it is. I don't even know what truth is. I'm not even sure. No, no, your responsibility. This is what I want to get right now. Your generation needs you to put your seed, to plant your roots firmly in the word of God and to plant your roots firmly in intercession. I want you to stand. We're just going to end with the worship song because we got tonight. But I just want to take just a second right now. I want you to close your eyes. Not because it's more spiritual, only because I want right now you and Jesus. That's it. Nobody else around. Your friend on your right and your friend on your left, they are not going to answer to God for you one day. You will answer to God for you. And I want to ask right now, I want to know, will you be somebody who takes responsibility for your generation? Will you be somebody who takes responsibility for your nation? Will you be somebody that says, God, I'm going to put my roots in Scripture. I'm not even, I'm not even really sure how to do that. But I got a Bible app and it's got a whole bunch of Bible devotionals and it'll walk me. It will send me a text every day to remind me. I'm going to get in scripture. I'm going to put my roots in the word of God. I'm going to do the work necessary to plant a seed for long term. I'm not just going to worry about right now. Candy crush can wait. And I know the next level on that game is super important. But I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to lay down candy crush for you, Jesus. Listen, you have to plant seeds right now. I'm not on you. I watch movies. I play video games. I love all this stuff. We, like, it's, not, it's not the issue for me, right? 
Candy Crush is not the issue for me. Put seeds down. Put, listen, put roots down in the right places. Your generation needs it desperately. Here's what I'm going to ask right now. If you just want to say, I want to be somebody in my generation that is both an intercessor and someone whose roots are deep in scripture. If you want to respond to that, I want you to lift both hands in this place. And I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to tell you right now, I believe in America, hope is alive and well. Because I'm sitting in a room right now with a generation that's willing to go after this thing. That's willing to say at 12, at 14, at 17, at 20, God, I'm going to, I'm going to invest, I'm going to plant myself in scripture and prayer. And God, I pray that you would do, with all those raising their hands, do the same thing that you did with me at 17. God, put their roots deep in Scripture. May they encounter you in Scripture. Jesus, reveal yourself. Truth embodied. Reveal yourself in their lives through Scripture. And I ask God that you would make them intercessors in their generation that they would stand in the gap, that they would stand between the dead and the living and say, Plague, you cannot have my generation. You cannot have death. You cannot come through my generation.